Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. What do you think about when you think about Prince? Maybe it's the clothes, his obsession with the color purple, all those songs, the big ones, the funky ones, the dirty ones. Maybe it's the tours, the epic shows. The weird way he spells stuff. Numbers instead of words. Words shortened to letters. The texts speak before texts even exist. Maybe it's when he changes his name to a symbol he's just invented, which hasn't got a name either. But here's the thing about Prince. A lot of rock stars, you think you know them. You don't think you know Prince. And that's the whole point. There's stories, so many stories, but they're so mad, or funny, or just impossible, you're never really sure what's real. Prince is like no one before or since, except he is. He's the Willy Wonka of music. That's what he is. Strange clothes, strange inventions, a factory without windows that hardly anyone ever gets in. There are people who work for him who aren't like normal workers. Like they're in cool cult, like he's a sort of charming god. Sound familiar? You know, all those stories you hear about Willy Wonka before Charlie ever gets inside the chocolate factory. He's invented 200 new kinds of chocolate bar, chewing gum that never loses its taste, grass you can eat, an entire three-course meal in one suite. That's Wonka. This man's somewhere between genius and lunatic. And that's Prince too. 200 kinds of new beats, hooks that never lose their sharpness, guitars that sound like machines and machines that sound like something from the future. Stories about what he wears, how he never sleeps, the rules he just makes up. How he goes four days without eating, never has a mobile, doesn't believe in pockets. How he writes songs about masturbation and oral sex and then actually records himself having sex and uses it as a backing track. Just like Willy Wonka, some of these stories turn out to be true. Some are sort of true. Some people would just like to be true. And when he dies, out of the blue, at an age when he's performing live and looking great and looking like he'll live forever, no one's quite sure whether to believe that either. He doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, 
He's never taken illegal drugs. He just listens to music, makes music, plays music. Is this another one of those stories? That's what people sort of hope when they first hear. And then they think about Prince and all he did and what he meant to them. They ask another question. Who was Prince really? We'll try and work it out after this break. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, it's Tom Fordyce here. I'm one of the writers on Death of a Rockstar, and I do hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people I wrote about for this series absolutely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Rockstar listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. That's betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious podcast. Okay, we've got to start with where he lives, where he works, his version of the chocolate factory. He writes the song first, it's called Paisley Park. Then he builds it. Three years later, 6,000 square meters of studios and offices and bedrooms, 22 miles outside Minneapolis, where he's from. Except it doesn't look very paisley. It looks like a warehouse. It's all white metal panels and square edges. It looks like the sales office of a software company. That's from the outside. The inside? Much more Wonka. Like Wonka, you don't get in unless you win his version of a golden ticket, a spot in his band, a personal invite to a party. You get the picture. And here's what you see if you do. Not many windows, like it's a casino, like people aren't meant to look in, like the people inside aren't meant to look out. The walls inside are pale blue, white clouds stenciled on them. There's a painting of Prince's eyes over one doorway, staring at you. A black carpet under your feet, 
a glass pyramid over your head. Okay, now it gets interesting. There's a cage of white doves, sort of makes sense. Two of those doves are called Divinity and Majesty. They get a singing credit on one of his albums. There are two recording studios over that way, a big soundstage, a rehearsal area, offices, bedrooms, chessboards, set up everywhere, as if someone's in the middle of a game, as if they're playing themselves. There's a bathroom that looks like a beach, fake palm trees, the floor like sand, three beds in Prince's office, a king size, a fold up, and a round one big enough to play football on, to play anything you like. There's a kitchen, some of it normal, some of it not so normal. There's a microwave, a coffee table, and a sofa. In the fridge, there's eggs. There's also a massive pack of Dunkaroos cookies, several cartons of yak milk, and 18 varieties of mustard. The owner, how can you tell if he's in? Well, if the glass pyramid is just glass, he's not in. But if you saw a purple light shining up through it when you arrived, well, he's here, he's in. Here's what people say about Prince. You don't see him first, you smell him, you smell lavender. There's something a regular visitor keeps saying to himself. Holy shit, I smell Prince. And when you do see him gliding up silently, you think two things. Wow, he's small. And what is he wearing? Prince is five foot three at a stretch. His waist measurement is 22 inches. And he makes the most of it all. Doesn't matter what time it is, doesn't matter what day of the week it is, Prince will be dressed as if you've caught him on his way to the stage. Full makeup, hair done, some sort of suit in a colour you don't own a suit in, in a cut you could never get into. Handmade boots, often a big heel on them, maybe a hat or lace gloves. The first time Gwen Stefani meets him, he's in a purple velour jumpsuit. It's got a high collar like late period Elvis. No one bats an eyelid. Another time he finds a member of his band in jeans and t-shirt. He says, God, you look like a roadie. What if Mick Jagger sees you? She says, but, but I'm going to 7-Eleven. He wears flip-flops with a three-inch sole. He's got other shoes that light up when you walk around. The pockets thing? He doesn't need pockets. They ruin the cut of an outfit. Why do you need pockets when you've got people who carry everything for you? He goes for coffee sometimes, doesn't have a wallet, doesn't have a credit card, just has the money he's got in his hand, usually a hundred dollar bill. And he doesn't want any change because where's he going to put change? Then there's the games. Prince loves music, but he loves games too. There's a ping pong table right outside the studio. He'll record a song, come out, challenge someone to a game, thrash them, and then go back in. He's seriously good. If you can't play, if he beats you too easily, 
he can't take you seriously. There's a story about Michael Jackson being round sometime in the late 80s. Jackson's never played before. He's got all sorts at his Neverland Ranch, fairground rides, go-kart tracks, but no ping-pong table. And Prince wipes the floor with him. Every time he wins a point, he laughs and trash talks. There's a point where Jackson drops his bat, holds his hands up in front of his face so the ball doesn't hit him. Prince smashes a forehand into his private parts instead. And when Jackson storms out with his bodyguard, Prince starts doing a little victory dance. He says, did you see that? He played like Helen Keller. I told you there were stories. So now you shouldn't be surprised to hear people say they've seen Prince sliding down the banisters, that he's got a pair of roller skates with multicolored sparks flying out the back, that he likes riding his bike around town late at night when there's no one watching. He'll go to the woods down the road, mooch about in high heels. There's a time Eddie Murphy pops over when Eddie Murphy's the biggest comedian in the world. Beverly Hills Cop, coming to America, all that stuff. Eddie's been making music. He sticks a tape of his new album on the stereo. Prince hears it, walks over, opens the cassette deck and flings the tape away. And he says, let me ask you a question. Do you see me stop my show to do comedy? That's only the start. Prince likes ping pong, but he loves basketball. Watches all the Minnesota games, has his own court at Paisley Park. Halfway through the evening, he looks at Murphy and his brother Charlie and their mates and says, fancy a game? Prince is in his full concert gear. Purple suit, frilly shirt, boots with heels. His band's the same. They give the Murphys proper kit, vests, shorts, basketball shoes, but walk onto court themselves without getting changed. And Prince is sensational. He nails a long range basket so cleanly, it doesn't hit the backboard. It doesn't even hit the rim. It just slides down inside the net. Prince is five foot three. Let's remember that. And he's dribbling around Murphy, flicking passes away, doing fakes, jump shots, the works. Charlie Murphy looks at him and thinks, this is Prince. And he's playing like Michael Jordan. And the game finishes and Prince and his band have won in all their crazy stage clothes. And then he walks off and says, anyone for blueberry pancakes? So how come Prince gets like this? Why does Willie become Wonka? You have to know where Prince comes from, where he's been, where he's running from. He's born with the name Prince Rogers Nelson. His dad's a jazz pianist. His mom's a jazz singer. When he's a kid, he learns to play every instrument, guitar, piano, drums, everything. He does ballet. But there's no money and there's a strange kind of love. His parents split when he's 10 and no one's quite sure who's meant to be looking after who. 
He goes to the local McDonald's, can't afford to eat. So he just stands outside and smells it instead. How's that making you feel? Here's something he says later. I was very bitter when I was young. I was insecure and I'd attack anybody. Once I was eating every day, I became a much nicer person. He runs away from home when he's 12. He has 32 different addresses by the time he's 16. There's one time when his dad kicks him out and Prince phones him from the street, begs him to take him back. He says no. So Prince calls his sister and asks her to ask their dad for him. His dad says, all you had to do was tell me you're sorry and I'll take you back. So Prince says sorry and his dad still says no. Here's how he remembers it years on. I sat crying at the phone booth for two hours. That's the last time I cried. So Prince doesn't trust people. He doesn't like talking to strangers. He definitely doesn't like talking to journalists. He goes years between interviews when rock stars always do interviews, promoting singles, albums, their brand. When he does say yes, and the writers allowed inside Paisley Park, they have to leave their phone at the door. No photos. Prince will send you some photos that he likes. You're not allowed to record the interview. No tapes, no microphones. You're not allowed to write anything down. No pens, no paper. Some interview, isn't it? A writer from Rolling Stone magazine meets him in his hotel room, thinks about cutting a hole in his trousers and hiding a tape recorder in his pants. It doesn't work, so he pretends he's got a bladder infection. Every three minutes, he goes to the toilet, gets some toilet paper and the pen he's hidden in his long hair and tries to write it all down. He reckons he's gone 15 times in six hours, says you can get a lot of toilet paper in four pockets. Prince knows, of course he does. This is how he describes music critics. Some mama jamma wearing glasses and an alligator shirt behind a typewriter. Later, as the internet becomes a thing, he talks to his fans that way instead. He goes into chat rooms and debates stuff with them. Prince talking to Prince fans about Prince. One time he tries to unify a group arguing about whether he's still funky or not. All in this chat room, none of them knowing that Prince is Prince. With his friends, he never phones. He just sends texts from his manager's mobile, from his assistants. Always the whole message in capital letters. That's how you know it's from him. His mate says he doesn't see it as shouting. So there's trust issues and there's always this desire to be in charge, to do what he wants. You want some Wonka-ish examples? He wants to design a shirt that acts as a ticket to get you into Paisley Park for free for the rest of your life. It will cost $1,000. He doesn't get around to that, but when he rents a house in LA, he gets to work, paints the outside walls in purple stripes, puts in monogrammed carpets, puts dye in the water feature 
so it runs purple instead. The owner's a big basketball star. Can't believe the state of his place when he gets it back. He's ready to lose his mind, bring the lawyers in. And Prince just gives him a check for a million dollars and says, here you go, get it back the way you want it. There's a tour he does where if he sees someone in the crew smoking or smells it, he fires them. There's another where you're not even allowed to look at him. You get the sack for that too. It's not normal, any of this, but it works for Prince and he's used to it. And everyone who works with him is used to it too. There's a time when the phone rings at Paisley Park. The manager answers. It's Prince. He's in a limo and he wants the aircon turned down. Rather than ask the driver, he's called home from the phone in the back seat. So the manager calls the limo company and they call the driver and he turns the aircon down. That's how it works in Prince's world. That's just another day. How does he afford all this? Paisley Park, the clothes, the gadgets, the limos? Because Prince makes music like other people make meals. Every day, morning and evening, late at night. 39 albums. And that's with his record company stopping him releasing more. 130 million records sold. There's no one he plays with who can stay awake as long as he can. He has to have studio engineers working shifts. He'll go 20 hours straight. He doesn't really believe in time. Midnight to us is late afternoon for him. Three in the morning is just later. Musicians say they forget what day it is. They say Paisley Park's like an alternative reality. If they can't handle it, if they fall asleep, he just does it himself. On his first ever album, he plays 27 different instruments. On one song, he records almost 50 different tracks of his own vocals. Someone in his band says, he writes songs at the pace we write emails. Not all the songs are great, but a lot are, and they just keep coming. You know, Sign of the Times, one of his biggest albums, maybe the best. Prince writes two sides of that on a three-hour flight. Just gets a notebook and every 15 minutes starts on another page. Every page is a song. Words, melodies, beats, guitar lines, production, it's all there in his head. And when he gets back to Paisley Park, he stays up four days straight and records the whole lot. He says, I have to get it out when it's in there or I can't sleep. And he wants to control all of it, which makes sense when you can do what he can, but it brings problems too. Michael Jackson wants to duet on Bad, the first single of that massive album. And Prince says no. And this is how he explains it. 
the first line of that song is, your butt is mine. I'm saying, who's going to sing that to whom? Because you sure ain't singing it to me and I sure ain't singing it to you. So right there, we got a problem. In 1992, he gets offered a record deal worth $100 million. But he hates it because the record company owned the trademark for his name. So he performs with the word slave written on his cheek in pen. He formally changes his name to that strange symbol, like the gender signs for male and female merged together. Thing is, the symbol doesn't exist on anyone's computers. His press team have to send out floppy disks so papers and magazines can use it. And that's Prince for a long time. Not Prince anymore, but Love Symbol. The artist formerly known as Prince. In a strange world, it's a very strange place to be. Here's something people don't ask about Prince when they see him on stage or in Paisley Park, surrounded by all that wealth and music and control. Is he lonely? There's always girls, of course there are. Kim Basinger, Carmen Electra. But who does he trust? There's a note he sends to the woman who will become his first wife. It reads, a secret. When I have a disagreement with someone, it's usually only one. The two are expecting their first son. Prince turns half of Paisley Park into a baby zone. Nursery, playground, swings. Then the boy is born and he's got severe health issues. He dies at a week old. His wife gets pregnant again. This time, she miscarries. Prince never publicly acknowledges any of it. When Oprah interviews him, asks about it, he says quietly, it's all good, never mind what you hear. But he changes, hangs around with a friend who's a Jehovah's Witness, gets into some out-there ideas and conspiracy theories. He never says he's converted. He calls it a realization, says it's like Morpheus and Neo in the Matrix, but he starts going door to door with the Jehovah Witnesses. He converts other people. Prince, this private man, this superstar, turning up at your house with a pamphlet. Prince has never been about behaving. Listen to his songs and it's always there. Darling Nikki, with that line about a girl masturbating with a magazine. Jackie Woff, you can wear that one out. Head, yeah, that one too. There's a 12 inch mix of a tune called Scandalous. That's the one with him and Kim Basinger doing stuff in the background. That's the story, but that's the old way. Now, Prince won't play any of those tunes. He won't even swear. He won't let anyone near him swear. He puts a swear box in the studio. You say the wrong stuff, you pay up. That's Prince now. He's in a club in LA with Talib Kweli, the hip-hop star. Two in the morning comes round. He gets security to throw out all the men. Now, it's just Prince and Talib and a lot of women. Here we go, thinks Talib. 
And then Prince gets out a Bible and starts reading scripture to them all. You know Sinead O'Connor gets a massive number one with an old Prince tune only the hardcore fans really know. Nothing compares to you spelled the weird Prince way. Numbers instead of words. Words shortened to letters. Texts speak before texts even exist. She gets the call to Paisley Park. Huge Prince fan. Always loved his music. So excited. Prince tells her he doesn't like it when she uses bad words in interviews. Sinead, here's how she remembers it. It's foolish to do this to an Irish woman. So I told him to fuck off. Prince is 57 at the start of 2016, but he doesn't look it and says he doesn't feel it. He's making music, always making music. He's selling in higher numbers than any other living solo artist. He still says he can't feel time like others do. Never even worries about dying. He says, I don't think about gone. Someone asks him, you ever been self-destructive? And he looks at them in mock horror and says, self-destructive? Do I look self-destructive? But there's stuff going on, stuff he can't help. All those stage moves, all those jumps off stacks, off speakers, wearing high-heeled boots. His hips are a mess, always in pain, getting worse each year. It's why you see him with a cane when he's at award dues. It's part of the outfit, but it's part of the problem too. He probably needs double hip surgery, but he doesn't want it. So he's taking painkillers, and the painkillers are holding on to him. Vicodin's strong and it's nasty. It takes away the pain, but it won't let go. You start taking it, you can't get off it. Prince is taking it and he's getting it where he can, from good sources, from bad. The real stuff, the stuff that's being faked, that's got even stronger drugs in it. He's on his private plane coming back from a gig. He passes out mid-air. They make an emergency landing, rush him to hospital, and it's all okay. Dehydration and flu. That's what they say. Except it's not. He's overdosed on the pills. The counterfeit ones, the ones full of opioids. Not just morphine, but way stronger. A hundred times stronger. They gave him what they call a save shot. It's happening all over America. People given painkillers, getting hooked, going out and buying in the street. 30,000 Americans will die of this drug in the next year. And Prince is in trouble too. His staff make an emergency call to a specialist in addiction, in withdrawal. They say he's dealing with a grave medical emergency. The doctor puts a plan together. He sends his son to Paisley Park to talk it through. And when he arrives, there's no smell of lavender. There's no music playing. There's no one in the studio. And it's the son who finds Prince in the lift, on the floor, unresponsive, overdosed, too late. 
they make the 911 call, shout, we're at Prince's house, when they want the address. But no one actually knows it. It's just Prince's house. It's two months before the autopsy comes out. It's two years while they investigate it. Prince dies, they say, from an accidental overdose, from a dodgy Vicodin pill that's actually fentanyl, an opioid so much stronger, so much more deadly. Where he got it from, who gave it to him, they never find out. It's always a mystery with Prince. Like no one else before. Somewhere between genius and madman. And all those stories, so many stories, so strange or funny or just impossible. You just never really know what's real. This episode of Death of a Rockstar was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Elroy Spoonface Powell, Spoon the Voice Guy. It was edited by Charlie Frost. For research, we used Prince's autobiography, The Beautiful Ones, the book by his ex-wife, Maite Garcia, The Most Beautiful Ones, as well as Rolling Stone, NME, GQ, Billboard, The New Yorker, CNN, and the BBC. If you want to listen to some Prince, well, you have to go sign all the times. Cream for a dirty one and let's go crazy for the intro and the guitar and all that mad Prince energy. If this is your first episode, go and listen to our ones about Freddie Mercury, Whitney Houston and Jeff Buckley. And if you're enjoying the series, support us by leaving a nice review on Apple or follow our Death of a Rockstar playlist on Spotify. And once you're up to date, check out another crowd series called Death of a Sports Star. I recommend the episode about heavyweight boxing champion Sonny Liston. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. for a head-bangingly good time dive into the world of heavy metal with the brutally delicious podcast here we don't just talk music we welcome you into our heavy metal family join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars we go beyond the typical interviews exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal so whether you're a die-hard metalhead or just curious join our family and let the head-banging begin with the brutally delicious podcast Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. 
So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.